dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we have made it to the golden episode Number Thank 50. You, Here we, we are. are at the 50th episode of Mouse Madness. <laughs> it's crazy how fast it accelerated once we started doing this uh, weekly instead of biweekly. This would have been a much longer journey if we had done Got it quick. every other Life week. Life comes at so you fast. It does. So thank you to everybody who's been listening all this time. We hope that this Disney Channel original movie conversation is worth it for the 50th golden episode and here to ring in that golden episode is elizabeth stop stop how are you doing i'm good guys thanks for having me back so happy for you 50 episodes just unbelievable <laughs> it really is it really is it and is i did not think we would be here today <laughs> no neither did i and especially just with how our lives are how our jobs are like to keep this up uh, i'm proud of you chris way to go Pat yourself i mean back. i thought we would be out of ideas by now for sure <laughs> But I think we got we got plenty to go. We're just hitting our stride right now. Exactly, exactly. Um, speaking of hitting our stride, and to really throw things off, we have a brand new segment. Chris, why don't you introduce it? So before we get into the bracket, we have a new segment to God, announce so on excited. Mouse Madness. I'm so and excited. And Elizabeth does not know Hello. about this yet. <laughs> so we're introducing this to her for the first time as well. Kyle and I conceived a game called shop disney roulette we were on shop disney one day and we were texting and i was like man the amount of junk that is on this website <laughs> is absolutely astounding you it's can get anything trash. it's like amazon but everything's disney branded it's like why do you need aerial branded facial scrub i don't <laughs> know and why is it 40 dollars? Yeah. so we came up with an idea for a game where each of us orders something from Shop Disney or eBay or any other retailer that sells Disney merchandise, send it to the other person <laughs> and open it on air. We have no idea what is in these packages. Kyle and I both have one and it is going to be the tiebreaker host's job to judge the winner of Shop Disney Roulette. We are gonna have a different criteria, a different mission for Shop Disney Roulette every time we do this segment. It won't be in every episode or in every bracket segment. We'll pepper it in uh, throughout. But this episode's Shop Disney Roulette mission was to find the most ridiculous thing on Shop Disney and send it to the other person. <laughs> So, Elizabeth, right. how do you feel about this job we've suddenly thrust upon you? I mean, I think ridiculous is a good starting point. You both are quite ridiculous. So I feel like <laughs> it's going to be pretty evenly matched, but we'll see. All right, Chris. Um, I I think I'm going to let you lead this one off. I You you helped devise the game. You go ahead and see what uh, you received in the mail. Okay, so I got this package about four days ago. 
and I threw it immediately up to my loft. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to touch it because I knew I would be tempted to open it or I would overthink and guess what's inside of it. So uh, this is really my first time like picking it up and handling it closely. So this is a plastic envelope, one of like the soft ones that maybe a t-shirt or something might come in. It's extremely light. Uh, it looks like the shipping weight is one pound. So this is going to be probably a very small present inside of here. But <laughs> if I know anything about Disney, that does not necessarily mean it is a cheap present that is in here. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and squeeze squeeze around this thing and see. All right, so I'm feeling like a like a round like a roundness to whatever's in here. It, it feels yeah. a little bit round yeah. and it feels a little bit plushy. Like maybe it's like a a stuffed animal or like a beanie baby or something like that. So it's like a round stuff thing. I was in the Disney store last week actually and I was looking at the little Disney sumsums, I think mm-hmm. is what they're called. They're like little beanie things and they have like hundreds of different ones for different Disney characters. And uh and I think it's going to be one of those actually now that I've I've like felt it out. That that's going to be my guess, but I'm going to go ahead and open it now. <laughs> I'm going to chop it with some scissors. <laughs> Here we go. Oh man, I'm so excited. All right, I'm gonna I'm reaching into the package here. Okay, it's a package within a package. There's, a, oh, there's something else in here. Gosh, wasteful <laughs> shop Disney. <laughs> All right, so this is this looks like a keychain. <laughs> let's let's open let's open the plastic <laughs> inside the plastic. <laughs> All right, so this, oh, is this an Eeyore? What is this? Oh, no. So this looks like it's a pom-pom, it's a pom-pom keychain, um, and there's a little bow on it. Uh, this is actually a bag charm is actually what it is. It is a, it is like something that goes on your purse or maybe your wallet, and it's fluffy, and it's got a bow. So this has got to be like an Eeyore bag palm, right? Yeah. Not like a not a Marie from the Aristocats. <laughs> nope, that is your. And I specifically, when I saw it, I was like, it looks like someone chopped up your, and then <laughs> turned him into a charm. I need to get this, this for Chris. This looks like something Bellatrix Kyle's cat would go absolutely insane for. Yes. What happened to his face? So that's the morbid <laughs> thing about this is that it is like. People have these. They're like luxury ones that are made from like actual animals. And so this is like Eeyore has been killed and made into this this fashion accessory. And Eeyore is like the saddest Disney character too. Right, so right. you're meant you're meant to walk about the city and be like, look at my sad stuffed Eeyore <laughs> bag palm. Wow, Kyle, that's a good one. Uh I did not expect that. I did not see that on Shop Disney. And that was that was my main concern with this exercise. It's like, I hope we don't get each other the same thing or something we've seen. And, right. uh, oh, my gosh, this is shocking. I don't know what to do with this. No. I don't know where this is going to go. Maybe but, uh, maybe we give it away on Twitter or something. One of these all days. right. So, so Kyle bought Chris a Eeyore purse palm. All right, Kyle, that means you're up. All right, I got a box, but it weighs probably about as much as that Eeyore palm. 
I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of room for movement in here. So I'm not sure why they sent me an entire box. So I'm going to go ahead and just open this guy. And we're going to see what we got. All right. So we got the classic Disney wrapping paper. What in the... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, this is appears to be some sort of snake <laughs> and I All right, we're gonna open it up it's <laughs> Okay, so this is an avatar <laughs> Ponytail or just their tail. I don't know. It's blue it has a strap, which I would assume goes around your head. It that this goes around your head. This goes around your head, and uh, <laughs> and and then you can whatever they you know how they do their little thing. This is absurd, and it's I'm so glad I didn't get you what I was going to because it was going to be an avatar hat with the avatar ears <laughs> sticking oh. out of it. This is absurd. This I don't. <laughs> I don't. I just don't know. I just don't so, know. So, as far as like ranking Disney parks hats, you have like the the cone hat they used to sell at Cars Land, as well as the tire hat. Right. And we've got the skunk hat, which skunk hat. gets passed mm -hmm. between us. And now we've got this avatar tail. Yeah. Hat. This, this might have to become the new skunk hat. To be honest. <laughs> And oh. so the point of this is, who would ever wear that? <laughs> Who's walking around the parks being like, yo, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm putting on today? Give me that tail. <laughs> Give me that tail. Yeah, I, this is incredible. This is amazing. I hate it a lot, but it's amazing. All right, Elizabeth, you've seen what we've gotten for each other. Which is the most ridiculous? Is it the avatar tail or ponytail, or is it the morbid Eeyore keychain? Does that tail have a Velcro strap on the front there? Adjustable? Yes, the, this okay. Is adjustable. I feel like the tail is a bit more practical because I feel like you could use it for costumes or like. You know, it's a great, like the skunk cat has a use. Like it has a purpose. The skunk cat uh -huh. has turned into something. The uh -huh. Eeyore is like just the weirdest, saddest thing I've ever seen. Like <laughs> there's no faces, tails dangling. There's ears on it, but there's no body. It's just like doesn't make any sense. It's huge. So if you had it on your bag, like it might be the size of an entire bag. It really just... I really think the Eeyore palm just gets a slight edge um, just because of its, like, utter absurdity, um, yes. just everything about it. Whereas the tail, I think, you guys, that fits. Like, that, <laughs> that's something I could see you getting, Kyle, as a real gift. So. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not All right, wrong. Kyle, congratulations. You have won <laughs> the first game of Chop Disney Roulette on this podcast. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Let's put hang the banner until next time. <laughs> and this is the thing about it is I don't know who's the real winner here. Is it is it me because I got the more <laughs> absurd thing? Or is it Kyle because he picked the more absurd thing? I, everyone's a winner at Chop Disney Roulette. <laughs> <laughs>
And before we go any further, we have to talk spoonfuls of sugar, guys. So, Kyle, what are you sipping in Oakland today? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm back. I'm back, baby. I am mixing drinks. I have recovered from the Pirates episodes. I am ready to rock and roll. Uh, this I, I I use this website called Cocktail Builder, and it, it's just like whatever you have in your your bar cabinet, throw the ingredients in, and they suggest a bunch of them. So today I'm drinking what is called Little Devil, and it is uh, two ounces of gin, an ounce and a half of light rum. We're back. Ounce of triple sec and an ounce of lemon juice, and you put in a shaker, shake it up, strain it, and uh, I'm I'm back at the spoonful of sugar mug, everybody. So we're we're really geared up here for the fiftieth episode. And let me go ahead and take the first sip. That's refreshing, dangerous but very refreshing. Chris, what are you drinking this week? Guys, I have a very special announcement to make. Your boy's coming back to Southern California. Just booked myself a flight. I'm going to be there for 17 days. Ooh, so I ooh. am stoked right now. I got my Padres hat on. I got my yep. sea salt spray in my hair. <laughs> and guess what, guys? I got to start working on my beach body because, you know, that quarantine 15, it hit hard in New okay. York City. So I decided to try something light, something summery, and I went with a strawberry mojito with no sugar. Oh. And I'm calling it the Big Mama's Mojito because I got to get my Teen Beach movie body on, guys. <laughs> I got to be looking like Tanner out there on the water. It just, it's, you have to. It's mm-hmm. just, you just have to. And uh, there's a reason I, I traditionally don't make my own drinks. Um, it's because I'm not very good at it, and this strawberry mojito is awful. So, <laughs> probably has something to do with the sugar thing, but, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yep, that's, that's Elizabeth, it. what do you have today? Guys, I have a Fisher's Island lemonade that I'd rep. They come in this little can. It is whiskey, vodka, and lemon juice. Ooh. Real tasty, real dangerous. Um, but we could go with, like... You know, the Big Island Lemonade, maybe for this. Still a little Chinese tsunami call out. Um, Yeah. All right, everybody. Let's go ahead and get down to it. Let's pick our best Disney Channel original movie. To remind everybody, our demographic that chose this bracket of 16 were Disney Facebook group members who didn't want to pay the $30 to watch Mulan on Disney+. Uh, I didn't really dive into it last episode, but... Disney Plus will be hosting Mulan, but people will have to pay the $30 upcharge, which folks are obviously very upset because whenever Disney announces they're going to raise prices on anything, Disney community gets up in arms until it comes to actually paying for it, in which case they do every single time. So we got these hotheads. We asked them for their favorite Disney Channel original movies, and we have narrowed it down to an Elite Eight, Chris. Elizabeth, have you been thinking about any of these since the last time we talked? Pretty much nonstop, Chris. Um, <laughs> um, I did a rewatch on a couple. I am ready, ready to go. Shoot. All right. Well, then let's dive right into it. The first Elite Eight matchup, we have the number one high school musical versus the number eight Cadet Kelly. All right, Chris, we did not talk a whole lot about high school musical last episode. I had mentioned how great the soundtrack is it's 
what it's known for it's literally the name of the movie high school musical so you know the songs are gonna have to come packing some heat and they do so this is interesting because no matter who you were watching this movie you probably walked away with a crush it's either zach efron it's vanessa hudgens could be ashley tisdale could be corbin blue very good looking cast in this high school musical disney channel original movie um, for those who've lived under the rock since 2006 or whenever this came out, um, High School Musical is about essentially a jock and a drama girl, and they end up at the same school after meeting at New Year's in like Tahoe or a ski resort or something, end up going to the same school. And uh, it's about our, our boy, Zach Efron, Troy, uh, wanting to pursue his love for drama, but not wanting to give up that jock life. And not only that, but is he not? He does not want to admit that he wants to become this drama king, and uh, so he's putting on a front for the boys and for for his girl Gabriella. So uh, it's all of the drama that you would imagine with teenagers in high school and and betraying friends. Except like Troy kind of sucks. Everybody, this guy is like the worst. He's not only extremely rude to Gabriella. Uh, about his basketball career but he's also just like why doesn't he just come out and tell his boys that this is what he's doing they obviously were going to support him they just needed him for the big game worked out in the end the entire school knew (laughs) knew the dance number so it it seems like they're a pretty drama pro school i think i i just don't get why his ego was so large throughout this entire thing that he felt like he couldn't just like disclose to his teammates did you chris when you were watching did you pick up on any hints as to why he wouldn't just hit up corbin blue and be like yo man like i i really want to do this and you should support me as my best friend yeah i kind of wrestled with this idea especially when it comes to like gabriella and the science olympiad team or mathletes team or whatever it was that she's on yeah. Um, as well as the girl who in Stick to the Status Quo, she's like the nerd and she says she loves to dance to hip hop. Um, yeah. And they're like, no, don't do that. And you kind of think of like, I could see like athletes being like, bro, like don't, don't do the musical. Like that's stupid. Um, but it's a little bit harder for me to grasp the idea of like these other types of like social groups like rooting against their friends for trying other activities. So uh, you brought up Stick to the Status Quo, and that's a song that's very Teen Beach movie-esque for me, where it's this, except in this case, it's not supposed to stand out as being this like corny song. It just kind of like it is to like drill home the message that this high school is as ignorant as I wish they weren't, you know, like, literally nerd can't be a hip-hop dancer because she has to stick to this click or else like high school does not work (laughs) you know the the institution of high school itself would crumble to the ground god forbid if uh if this girl became a hip-hop dancer but it's a very it it really sets the pace for those decisions later on that zach uh that troy has to make you know like as much as i hate it and i wish that the the message wasn't that he was going to stick to the status quo until the very end you know instead i wish he was kind of he would be fighting against it 
but it is a, a, a movie of its time. In the in 2005, that wasn't an idea of like challenging norms. It was kind of, a, it was literally just sticking with what you had. So, so are you saying that you wish instead of like all of the things working out magically and everyone gets to have their cake and eat it too, you wish that maybe Troy did make that sacrifice? No, I, I think it, it needs to be, everyone needs to have their cake and eat it too in order for this to be a decom. But I wish there was a <laughs> right, little bit right. of resistance along the way, I think is what I'm saying. Yeah, I got it. I got um, it. <laughs> uh, Chris, I, I, I'm going to leave High School Musical in a second, but I need to remind you to talk about the, the burnout kids in the, in the cafeteria <laughs> when it gets to your turn. Yo, love <laughs> okay. those guys. So, so also really quick before I do leave High School Musical, I uh, want to point out that as I brought up last episode, almost every DCOM movie has a continuity error or multiple. And in this one, it is amazing because in the final basketball game, the score literally changes as Troy is trying to win the game. And it's like, is he trying to win? Is he kind of trying to tie? How much time is actually there? In one cut, <laughs> there's a different score on the scoreboard. You gotta love DCOM sports movies. Other side, we have Cadet Kelly, which uh, moved on last time. And I, I think rightfully so. I think this is a, a great movie. And Chris, you brought it up. Her personality is awesome. It's not that typical like standoffish New Yorker that you see a lot of times in these kind of movies but instead she's the free spirit as you brought up but my girl kelly is like ruthless she's like not just free spirit she is ruthless when she wants to challenge her her sergeant every step of the way in this movie she does it to the extreme she is ruthlessly running across the lawn to intercept her and Brad, the the dude that they're both into. She, <laughs> she craft paints her hair and just and just like that's fine. That's not rude. That's not like bullying. That's not dangerous. It's just like I also like the decom like magic of it just molding into like yeah. this shell instead of like anything else that paint might do i don't know rub off on the pillows it's also kind of funny because she's such a free spirit and yet she she can't be completely because she's still like tethered down to her her mom and the commandant because they live on property you know like it's it's i understand it for the story and like that's part of this journey for her but it was always weird that like she was going to be experiencing the barracks life but then they're going to go get ready for the dance in the house if i was her like screw that i'll just stay in the house (laughs) i was thinking the same thing i'm like what are the rules here because this seems yeah and then i don't have to deal with christy romano (laughs) yeah exactly then i don't have to deal with my idiot sergeant one thing that i need to point out everybody that felt really awkward besides their dance battle, which was awful, but just felt really not okay, was the shoe shine scene. How weird was that? Not only did it last a really long time, but a lot of eye contact was made, and it just felt like one huge innuendo that didn't need to happen in this decom. Elizabeth, why don't you go ahead and say what you said (laughs) off air about this love triangle? So there's a an internet meme, rumor, whatever you want to call it, floating around that this is actually a love story between Kelly 
and um what's the, what's her name stone stone yeah um christy carlson romano um i've seen like i don't know i think there's like an edit where they cut together all the glances at each other um which you know i'm all for it totally behind it you know kelly do whatever you need to do you know it kind of would like fit with her personality she just goes with the flow does you know like whatever she's feeling she's feeling um i just don't think disney was quite ready for that yet so definitely not (laughs) but the film leaves room for interpretation like that yeah i think probably by accident just because they did such a bad job developing Mm -hmm. that quote-unquote love stories between like the three leads there and that shoe shine scene is an example of like just a terrible attempt at like a meet cute or something it's like ew what (laughs) yeah it was it was weird um the acting in these movies are not like you know (laughs) Not the best. No, 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 absolutely not. That's what makes them decoms, mm-hmm. and that's what's that's what's great. Um, it's still the situation, just bizarre. Um, also, in the order that I was watching this, this this was the first time that we. Oh no, hold on. Justice for the black best friend, who like was barely in the movie, and then got offended that Kelly had another best friend, and it's like. We never even saw this friendship develop. Why is she upset at that Kelly has a friend from home? I was like, <laughs> this is so unnecessary. It's an unnecessary drama point in this already drama-filled scenario that Kelly's living. It was just like, build out that relationship. So, Isn't it the dad who says some word of wisdom to that girl at the end of the movie? Or no, he says it to... Kelly, he says, it's okay to have two best friends or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like... S- s- yeah. Like, okay, duh. <laughs> like, what? They were just, like, trying to jam that, that like, lesson in there for some reason. We already had enough going on. Counterpoint, though, that that is exactly how teenage girls act. So... Gone on long enough here. I think that if... When I compare these two movies, it's a, it's a they're both movies about status quo. They're both movies about meeting expectations absolutely and and what i like more about cadet kelly is the challenging of those expectations all the way through and she works through those issues instead of them magically happening in the end and everything being okay so chris for me cadet kelly is here to upset high school musical kyle that breaks my heart (laughs) reason number one zach efron is my favorite actor (laughs) Period. That's not a joke either. Zac Efron is my favorite actor. Everything this man touches turns to gold. In my heart, at least. I mean, you only have to watch Bet On It from High School Musical 2 one time to know that this man does not take his career as an actor seriously at all. Watch him in Neighbors, watch him in Baywatch, literally anything. Zac Efron just... He, he knows it's not that deep. And that is what I love about him as an actor. And so watching him play Troy, I just like laugh the entire time he's on the screen. High School Musical does not get credit for the hamminess 
that it has in there. It's definitely not the hammiest of Disney movies, not even close. Mm-mm. But there's enough in there to make me laugh. Example, get your head in the game, and when Gabrielle is singing her solo song, she leans up against a life-size billboard plastered up on the wall of Troy's face. And like those are the moments where you go, I am watching a complete work of art here. This is absolutely brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And you never get those moments really in Cadet Kelly, except for maybe when they're doing the dance battle the first time, like in the quad, when their form breaks down and they just end up like wiggling their bodies in front of each other. Like that's pretty good. But High School Musical, man, I mean, you want me to talk about the highest Disney characters of all time. Those kids <laughs> in that lunchroom were baked out of their minds. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. they were. The man doesn't know what a cello is. <laughs> it's crazy. I know you don't like the idea of everything working out in the end, blah, 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 blah. You think that... Maybe those clicks are too tight, maybe so tight that it's a bit unrealistic. I think that's absolutely necessary to get the point of the movie across. And that is, we're breaking free. You just have to look at that one song to know exactly what this movie is trying to say. I'll go ahead and read you the bridge right now. You know the world can see us in a way that's different than who we are. So these are characters identifying with themselves in a way that's different than how their peers see them, or maybe their parents see them. Creating space between us till we're separate hearts. Saying that because people are labeling us in a certain way, that's keeping us apart from one another. But your faith, it gives me strength. Strength to believe we're breaking breaking free. Soaring, flying. You reference Cadet Kelly being a movie that has a similar message. I would point to dozens and dozens and dozens of other Disney movies that are about just that. Motocrossed is a good one. Miracle in Lane 2 is a good one. The Allison Brie drag racing one. I can't remember what it's called. But so many of these movies are about breaking social barriers, breaking gender barriers, what have you. And I think High School Musical does a good job conveying that message in a very digestible, very succinct way. And that is also very fun. I didn't really want to have this conversation yet, but I guess we have to. (laughs) High School Musical feels like a very generic decom. And when you talk about things being generic, a lot of times that's a bad thing. Just generic, doesn't have a whole lot going for it. It's not special. It's not spicy. I I believe High School Musical is very generic. I will give you that. But I think that when we make a lot of these decisions on this podcast and advancing things deep into brackets and crowning winners, generic is sometimes a good thing because it's encompassing of all of the other entrants on the bracket. Mulan, great example, right? For the very first Mouse Madness Hall of Famer. Seemed like she accompanied a lot of hero qualities. I think High School Musical is that. 
when it comes to decoms. It's got a little bit of everything, and it says what every decom is trying to say. So for that reason, I am advancing High School Musical, which means we are giving it to Elizabeth for the tiebreak. Oof. I do have one hot take about High School Musical. I think the music in the second one is far and away better than the first one. Um, just overall, every song is what better. What time is it? <laughs> No, no, no. Talk about I don't dance or whatever it is Bet where they're playing it. the baseball game. Gotta go my own way. All Bet them. on it is, oh my, it's art. <laughs> it's so <is> good. Art. <laughs> when he's jumping through the golf course, just, it does not get yeah, When he sees his reflection in the pond. <laughs> and me? hits it. <laughs> Zach Efron has a great golf swing, by the way. <laughs> A lot of times I will like make fun of actors who try to do sports in the movies. Right. Corbin Blue trying to play baseball. <laughs> great example. <laughs> Zach Efron swinging a golf club. All right. All right. So, not bad. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I, this is a really hard one. I feel like High School Musical launched so many other DCOMs, um, including like its own other sequels. Um, but including one that made it to theaters. Yeah. The, was that the third one? Mm-hmm. I I saw that in theaters for sure. Um, <laughs> probably my senior year of high school, maybe going into college. Yeah. Um, it's so it's kind of like what Chris said. It's it's definitely like an like iconic traditional decom um, in that sense. And um, but Cadet Kelly also fits that that style. And there's just so many great scenes in it. And Chris talked last week about Gary Cole being in it and <laughs> stealing a show. And, I mean, young Hilary Duff, you had a lot of Disney stars packed into that, into Cadet Kelly. They were already established, whereas High School Musical, I think, launched the careers of of all those kids. Um, maybe Ashley Tizel not as much, but the rest of them. You both brought up a lot of really good points <laughs> about both of them. Um, Starting off the 50th strong. This is so hard. I mean, I think when if we're going to – if we're balancing – you know, if we're doing best decom, not necessarily like most iconic, most nostalgic. I don't know, whatever that is. If it's if it's having the message, you overcome something, you work really hard to achieve something. I think it's Cadet Kelly. <laughs> Down goes musical. Unbelievable. Down. I think her journey musical. was a lot harder, and she she worked a lot harder. Whereas you know, Zac Efron was like, "Yeah, guys, I'm gonna sing now," and his friends are like, "All right." <laughs> Like I guess, as long can you still play the game though? I like five o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. and they were like, "Yeah." We need you to either tie the game or put us ahead. We're not. <laughs> we too don't sharp. know what's happening. All right, no time for crying here, folks. <laughs> we're gonna have to move on here to our next elite eight matchup. It's number thirteen, Horse Sense, versus number five, <laughs> Brink. So we had Horse Sense advance in a tie break last episode. Definitely a messy movie <laughs> when it comes to just basic filmmaking principles, basic storytelling. Brink is extremely clean. Yeah. Brink does not take a whole lot of chances, but Brink is airtight when it comes to developing a character, developing relationships between that character's friends, enemies, parents. I don't know. I mean, th there's really not a whole lot for me to say about this matchup. I have Brink pretty easily. I hate horse sense now, guys. <laughs> it's a bad movie. It's not even like a good 
it doesn't even feel like a good decom anymore because even some decoms that i think are bad movies like last episode i brought up that i didn't really like phantom of the megaplex at least it's decom enough and i'm gonna watch it all the way through and have some fun with it but you're right uh brink does that takes on even more kind of issues with gender roles gender roles in sports family issues parents jamming you up not even parents jamming you up chris parents like losing jobs and the kid feeling responsible for the family like that's even another dynamic that they they did very well because they wove it into the storyline of like that's why he joined the rival team because he can make money and that's why he lied to his friends and now his friends feel betrayed at least it's that instead of like Zach Efron just not wanting to admit that he wants to be in a play every once in a while. It makes it so that you don't get mad at your hero when he makes a bad decision. It's like Correct. the bad decision might be a good decision sure. if you think about it hard enough. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm with you, Chris. Brink's moving on. Elizabeth, you're off the hook this time. Uh, sorry that Horse Sense went down. Any last words for our friends, the Lawrence brothers? I mean, I will always love the Lawrence brothers, but I think that uh andy brink brinker might might be my favorite decom character of all time um <laughs> he's he's awesome he's the best um so i'm i'm happy with this let's go ahead and talk a little bit about number two johnny tsunami versus number 10 cheetah girls okay so in high school i had a group of friends shout out raymond if you're listening to this that loved cheetah girls and at my high school we used to have this like um like lip syncing contest and the winners got a hundred bucks or whatever it was we danced to cheetah girls cheetah sisters and raymond of course choreographed the entire thing because he'd watched the movie so many times and uh that song is just forever stuck in my head and so i don't really remember watching i never watched cheetah girls until preparing for this bracket um, but but the end sequence is always in my head because that's what he based like the choreography off of. But to see why they danced at the end, you Chris, you brought up in the last episode, and we did not talk about it nearly enough. The dancing poodle. The fact that like they pulled an elf on us and they sang the situation away was just like a big. You guys did so much in this movie to, like, talk about family issues, to talk about race, to talk about diversity, to talk about wealth and poverty, to throw it away, to save a dog by singing. They could have had some heartfelt moment before taking that stage and then just completely ripping it apart, you know? I think that's how, like, in my my little devil drinking mind would rewrite it at this moment in time. But I, th- I just think that there's a better solution than a dog getting trapped and having to be rescued by the power of song. Because that dog is just so meaningless. Right. You know, and, like, maybe they do something with Dorinda because she appears in the poodle scene and that's, like, the reveal that she didn't go on tour. Right. So maybe they do something with her where they're trying to get her back. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she like has lost 
her home or, or something like that. Sure. Um, I think I think them rallying behind one of their own yeah. would be a yeah. good way to convey that like friendship is more important than anything, and that's what makes totally. us Cheetah Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, what I did like about that ending is all of them showing back up in like this uh, in the outfits that all matched, even though they weren't planning on all being together. Love Disney it. magic. Love it. That like that. I think that's just so funny. It's so decom, you know. I don't think we talked enough in the in the last episode about how just amazing their outfits are throughout the entire movie. Every <laughs> movie. every cheetah outfit is stunning. Giant tsunami. It. This is one that like. I really enjoy the story. It felt like. I don't know. They they wanted to send a message about choosing your own way sort of thing and allowing like not having the parents jam you up but for for homeboy to skip town and go to hawaii on a military plane and then like they spent like actually a while in, of the movie in hawaii that i don't like that was just completely blocked out of my mind from childhood you mm-hmm. know like and rewatching it i'm like i don't even remember this i thought we just snowboarded all the time and like Everything was cool. So that was a storyline that I don't even remember um, until rewatching it. Um, the very end of Johnny Tsunami when they're, everything worked out, everyone's friends, things are fine. Dad now has become a lot more chill and they're throwing the party in the backyard. These kids are like, what, 13, 14? Yeah, maybe, maybe freshmen in high school. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> dad uh throwing down the the slow dance at the end at the at like the how at the party that the parents are putting on just i was like who, whose dad is throwing on the slow jam so the kids can just like slow dance at two in the afternoon in our backyard while he's still just frying up burgers you know chris the coveted dread beanies that the urchin sad do you remember in your early years of going to disneyland them selling those branded as like goofy hats it's a top five worst disney hat ever (laughs) for sure (laughs) the disney parks used to sell those things and it just said like goofy across the forehead and it was just like these colorful dread things and I think that one of these, maybe for our hundredth episode, that's what you're gonna get in our Disney Shop Disney Roulette. I'm gonna find it somewhere, oh, and you're gonna you're gonna get that because please, it's no. something. It's something. I'm sending you a Donald Duck hat if you send me a, a goofy dreadlocks. <laughs> God, please no. This one, Johnny Tsunami, feels like a very quintessential decom to me. This is. And maybe it's only because I'm a kid of the 90s, and so most DCOMs are those that are action sport related. And so, therefore, this just really is like DCOM, DCOM, DCOM. But I also just think that, like, my man's spirit and him being the new kid on the block, but not being the the shy new kid on the block and having to have somebody take him under his wing he like kind of sought out the urchins if you really think about it and had to really earn their respect as opposed to like homeboy being like hey no come come like come hang with us so i think hmm, it's tough 
Chris, I I think that just because Cheetah Girls botched that ending, I'm gonna go with Johnny Tsunami. <laughs> oh wow. Johnny Tsunami, I voted against last episode. I had it losing to Phantom of the Megaplex. Just just me being chaotic as always. <laughs> I kind of trashed Johnny Tsunami a little bit for the premise maybe being a little bit unbelievable. But there's certainly some really good stuff uh, in Johnny Tsunami. Most of it, for me, comes from the parent stuff. And not necessarily the Johnny and his father stuff, the Johnny's mother and Johnny's father stuff. Really, really good, really strong. Yeah. The mother acts as kind of the good guy in the relationship, and she doesn't really test Mr. Kapahala when he's calling the shots. She just kind of goes with it. But you can tell that she's, like, not into it. She kind of tries to, like, comfort Johnny a little bit in those moments. But she finally reaches that breaking point when she's in the kitchen. And she says, what happened to the guy I fell in love with, the surfer on the North Shore, like, blah, 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 blah. That, to me, is a really, really strong scene. And I think the best scene in the movie. Although I do like Xenon ragdolling down a cliff face. That is always a great watch, too. Yes. 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 Although that scene does a great job giving us some insight into the relationship of the parents, I think it just falls short a little bit. Because one of the things that's missing for me in Johnny Tsunami is why the dad is so anti-surfer, so anti his father. Like, what is the beef between the two? They briefly talk about it, and, right. like, maybe Mr. Kapahala was, like, a up-and-coming surfer, and he decided to walk away from the sport, and that caused some friction between him and his father. My theory is that the dad just sucks at surfing, and so he <laughs> focused on his studies instead, and he's, like... That's the way to go. Be this IT man for this university. Don't you don't need sports because really he's just awful at it. And his dad was great. So I would have loved to hear him say something like that because that thing he keeps going back to is like, I'm providing for you. I'm providing a good life for my family. And it's like, why are you so focused on the job and the house and that kind of stuff? I wish that we had gotten some insight into like what his childhood was like. I saw my dad. He was the greatest surfer in Hawaii. He was Johnny Tsunami. And guess what? I went to bed hungry every night because we didn't have any food in the house. Like, you know, we never once went anywhere interesting. I was stuck on that beach my entire life. I never met anyone who was different from me. All of that stuff would have been really important information because Pete, the dad, just comes off as like this stubborn jerk, which like, yeah, I guess it's a Disney movie and like, it's just kind of just the villain in the story, I guess. But, um, they do such a good job, like establishing the dynamic of this family. And like, it just barely comes up a little bit short for me. Speaking of developing family dynamics, I want to go back to Chanel and her mom. How do we feel about the credit card situation being like a point of conflict between the two of them? I I think it makes sense. Like she she act, needed some way to act out and she's a rich kid in New York City, so she grabbed her mom's credit card and went on a shopping spree. 
but she left the credit card and was like, go shopping without me. And she had that's like a, four that's bags. A, that's a very, that's a, yeah, I, w- I would say that's a very common like New York parent thing to do. But then she gets like so upset. She's like, my credit card got declined. I tried to buy some sandals. It got declined. I don't know. Is that the worst thing in the world? <laughs> I think it kind of goes into like what Kyle was saying that like there's a lot of layers in, in Cheetah Girls, but they're like very different and like vastly different. Like you have Dorinda who is in the foster home and then like Chanel's biggest problem is like her mom's credit card got declined and she was mad about it for like a little bit. So right. So we talked about the incredible record producer that is Kid Salsa last week. <laughs> We got to talk about Jackal Johnson because this character, unfortunately, has not aged well at all. It's so bad when we're talking about entertainment industry professionals leveraging their power over, you know, people beneath them. And you see Jackal like with his arms around the girls and stuff and like they're very into it. And like, it's just that one is icky. That is an icky Mm -hmm. like 15 20 minutes when they're in there in that record studio with that guy yes um so i wanted to talk about galleria next and galleria's mom because we haven't really talked about her a whole lot galleria has a really nice character arc i mean the movie is about the cheetah girls collectively but galleria goes through a nice little transformation soon after they get the deal for the demo she Gets on a high horse, kind of. She tells Aqua not to use the hot sauce. She's trying to force Dorinda to buy new clothes. And eventually they kind of all bail on her in the cafeteria. And um, there's definitely some inter-cheetah girl friction there, which I really, really like. Just the dang poodle. It's the dang poodle, man. Dang poodle. I don't know, Kyle. I agree with you that they botched the ending of this movie. I do not like the musical sequences in this movie at all, but I think there is more character stuff with the heroes in Cheetah Girls. And I think that that's what these DCOMs are about. It's about the hero living their life and overcoming. Johnny Tsunami certainly does that, but his life just seems a little bit less complicated than the life of the Cheetah Girls. So I'm going with Cheetah Girls, advancing to the final four, which means, Elizabeth, you're breaking a tie. Oh, man. So I just rewatched Cheetah Girls very recently. Galleria sucks. She is <laughs> just so annoyed. She's so hard. There's some scenes I wanted to turn the movie off. I was so annoyed with her. Um, she's like every friend you had when you were in middle school that thought they were like cooler than they were, and it was just so annoying. I agree with you. I think Cheetah Girls has a lot of really important um, things that they touch on, especially for kids to watch, you know, about the foster situation, um, you know, and, and learning the differences between money and how it affects everyone. I, You know, that's a good thing for, like, I don't know, whenever it came out, 2003, 2004, that our kids our age to kind of think about and learn about. Um, however, Johnny Tsunami, I mean, Johnny's such a cool, like, a he's – also a great decom character like kyle mentioned he doesn't really need anyone to tell him what to do or how to make friends he kind of takes it upon himself to do it um which i changed schools when i was in when i was younger and and that was 
this movie came out later than that. But it was kind of those things where you're like, you need to stand up for yourself and, and you know who you are so you can make your friends that way. That's at least the message I took from that. Um, you know, you don't have to be fake to be friends with people that you don't want to be friends with and that are mean to you and mean to your friends. Um, and I really like the whole, like, public school versus private school arc of Johnny Tsunami, um, which you know, where, you know, this kid who goes to private school can be friends with these kids in public school and, you know, the snowboarders versus skiers argument would kind of framed it that way, but that's really what it was about. Um, and then the whole, um, I think the whole arc with Sam and his dad having to move and the military, um, the military kid was, was interesting too, just because Johnny like, finally had a friend and he moved away and it was just so much more complicated than just he was moving. He had to move for his dad's job and learning all about that is something that you might not know about as a kid. I don't, you know, this one's really hard. I think in the end for me, it's Johnny Tsunami over Cheetah Girls. It's, I know, Chris, you're not a nostalgia guy, but but it's those action sports decoms that really is what got me into Disney. And when I think decom, I think Johnny Tsunami, action, action sports. All right. Well, Johnny Tsunami advances to the final four. Who will it face? Let's find out right now. We're talking about the last Elite Eight matchup. It's the number 14 Teen Beach movie versus number six Halloween Town. Now, we had kind of an emotional reaction to Teen Beach Movie last episode. Slightly. We had all seen this with very fresh eyes very recently. There was some recency bias, absolutely, (laughs) when we had seen Teen Beach Movie. One of the things that I propped up about this movie last episode was just the freshness. It just felt so fresh, so unique, when put in the context of all of these other DCOMs. Now, I want to briefly talk about kind of the downside to Teen Beach Movie. Teen Beach Movie is a giant joke. It's one 90-minute long joke. And your enjoyment of the movie, at least my enjoyment of the movie, relies on, do you get the joke? Do you think the joke is funny? And how long will you get enjoyment out of this joke this parody this farce of this genre of movie it's a combination of west side story meets back to the future meets grease meets 60s surfer movie it's all of these things that we all know but does everyone know those things and could someone see this for the first time and be like this is insane i don't understand this at all and when i first watched the movie before i really knew what it was about because I had I had an adventure with this movie because I didn't have any idea what it was about. All I saw was the Same. picture. Just the Same. picture. I didn't know it was a musical. Like I just yep. saw the picture of the four characters. I was like, I'm going to hate this. And the first scene felt so clunky to me where they're getting out all this info about the grandfather and the surfboard of destiny and the breaking up and the movie. And I was like, how are those characters on the movie in the movie and like the other characters that were in that picture are right here. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me when she was on the water in that storm. I was like, please, (laughs) please, please let this happen where she gets hit on the head and it becomes a musical. 
Right. And she gets transported there. Please let that happen. And? And it did. It did. I was rewarded. And I always root for the DCOM to do the most absurd thing. And this Same. was the rare instance where it did it. Because it knows exactly what it is. It's a joke movie. It's making fun of the genre. The decom genre, the musical genre, the surf genre, the time travel genre. Yeah. The greaser genre, all of that. So if someone like me and you and Elizabeth, who is familiar with all of this stuff, we get it. And it's awesome. But I look back at like that opening scene that I thought was so bad on my first watch. And in retrospect, it's like, wow, that scene was actually extremely important because if you don't get the joke, that scene sets up like what, what the movie's about, you know, like the, the plot. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the surf genre. I want to do a little fun fact. There aren't a whole lot of fun facts about teen beach movie, but if you are familiar with the actress Annette Funicello, who was yes. an original Mouseketeer, she was an actress who appeared in a lot of these beach movies in the 60s. And you might notice that in teen beach movie, none of the actresses are showing their belly buttons in their swimsuits. And that is a reference to Annette Funicello who did the same thing when she was in beach movies, which was not necessarily a style of swimwear that women wore in these movies, but she was still under contract with Disney when she was doing these films, and she thought that Walt Disney would get mad at her for showing her belly button. It's a really good fun fact. I have a, a second one for you that connects directly to Annette. Go ahead. I think I know where you're going, but go ahead. I think you do. When the surfers are all introducing themselves i'm jack i'm i'm so-and-so i'm so-and-so and they're coming down they're splitting that's a direct reference to the mickey mouse club who annette finicello first started out as and every at the beginning of every episode they would introduce themselves in that same fashion walk towards the camera say their name peel off next person behind them it's the it's they they knew what they were doing with teen beach it's just a series of inside jokes like that. It is. And this this movie, when it premiered in 2013, uh, its original live broadcast included a tribute to Annette Funicello, who had recently passed oh. when the movie premiered. So uh, there's some, some really solid, cool, classic Disney ties when oh, we're talking awesome. about Teen Beach. So in addition to all of this like genre humor, there is a rare type of humor that I strongly dislike. And that is self-referential, breaking the fourth wall humor. Rarely does this type of humor work for me, but for some reason at Teen Beach, I'm about it. Yeah, because they do it tastefully, I feel like. They do, and they have this deadpan delivery where mm -hmm. it's like it's there and it's gone. Or sometimes it's not even directly presented to you. One thing that I love about this movie is that all of the extras in the background are dancing at all times. They're yes. doing like the... <laughs> it's like, what, what are you dancing to? There's no music. <laughs> like, it's so weird. At one point, Brady and Mac are on the beach talking about some like scheme to get back to the future and they like walk off screen and the camera hangs on a guy juggling ukuleles. <laughs> so just ridiculous. 
or when Lola and Brady meet for the first time, she's like, you saved my life. And he's like, the stage is like two feet. You probably would have broken a nail or something. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what's your name? And he's like, Brady, your knight in shining board shorts. And she's like, that's a really long last name. (laughs) It's so good. It's like so dumb. And like, normally I hate that kind of stuff. But for some reason, like it just, it hit, it absolutely hit for me. Or when my favorite shot is when, Mac and Brady are standing next to each other after they realize that like the two other leads had fallen in love with them mm-hmm. and the camera like pans to a point of view shot of Lola and she's like leaning up against the lifeguard tower and then it pans to Tanner and he's like perfectly posed with like yeah. his guitar and like his car behind him and he's like staring directly at him. <laughs> It's just so weird, but it's, it's so, so funny. It's so I had a smile on my face the first like hour of this movie. Yeah. And that's when the joke started running out of steam for me. Hmm. There's a musical number but with Mac and Brady where they're talking like, why am I singing or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, all right, I think, I think I'm good. I think I got it. I and it was that. weird to me that they included that number like so late in the movie after they'd done like five numbers it's like dude we got it we got the joke like the joke has been conveyed we understand it so i don't know if that was just like just in case you hadn't got it yet like this is a joke on musicals but i did not love that number and and the movie kind of started to slump for me there but fortunately there wasn't a whole lot left in the movie that was like right before they got to the guy's evil laboratory let's talk about those guys while we got a second hey I loved those guys. Those guys thought, were so good. I thought uh, when they're doing the whole like lever thing, and of course you know one of the levers isn't going to be correct, the way they lean into it is just so funny to me. And then also that you, I know you hate the breaking of the fourth wall, and this is where it kind of towed the line for me, where I was like they might have done too much of breaking that fourth wall, when they've been told that they're in the movie, but it works somehow for me because the villains are supposed to be outrageous anyways. And so for them to continue that by harping on the fact that they're still in this like movie, I, I, I love, I loved the villains. I thought they were great. The henchmen looking into the camera thing. I mm-hmm. was like, I hate that so much, but I laughed so hard when it yeah, happened. Right. It worked here somehow. My favorite part in that chaotic climax scene, though, was when one of the biker girls was standing by the chalkboard and she like turned around and like gave the henchman like this like sultry look. And he like kind of like did this gross look back at her and you thought there was going to be like some gross like fantasy thing go on and she like pulls up an eraser and starts like erasing all yeah. of his formulas. <laughs> like, no! <laughs> It just seems like it was such a fun movie to work on. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just so fun and like not a dull moment. No. I said Halloween Town was boring. Last episode, I stand by that. Teen Beach movie, I will watch a hundred times before I watch Halloween Town once. So it's getting the advance for me. Uh, Yeah, I love Teen Beach movie. I, I think that it's different. I think that... It's what DCOMs want to be, which is 
especially at this time. I think you referenced this, this came out in 2013. So by that time, we've hit, I don't know, 110 decoms. So like, there's there's a formula for these decoms, right? It's the it's kid leads. Usually the parents are jamming you up. Usually you're in a new place. Usually you have to overcome something via either physical ability or, uh, <laughs> I mean, mostly physical ability if you really think about it. Um, there's not a whole, I mean, I'm sure like the, the color of friendship maybe is the, the outlier there. But Halloween Town, we talked a lot about Teen Beach right now. Halloween Town, that was a very inspirational movie i think across the board i think it was one of the more powerful like not only women driven movies in which most of the main characters were women but also like in the end of teen beach movie uh lola dismantles the weather machine then leaves the beach comes back and says girls can do whatever can do anything guys do Marnie takes down Calabar. Yes. And she's on she's so driven and on a mission throughout the entire movie of Halloween Town. This it, it's like Lindsay Lohan's character in Get a Clue where she's she's trying to she's trying to figure everything out the entire time and she's picking up on leads and she's kind of a detective through the the entire thing is a mystery, right? It's Marnie as the detective to figure out what the mystery of Halloween Town's disappearance of of their citizens is i think that's great and i think that's a that's a formula for decoms as we've seen there's a lot of mystery decoms where that entire scenario happens and we've seen it from get a clue to this and i think that the the humor in in that movie still holds up is it as hype as it should like as people make it no absolutely not and even you watch it now and people are always like, I mean, social media in general just hypes up these nostalgic things to a point of no return. So you watch Halloween Town again and you're like, I'm supposed to be excited about Freeform's 30 day, 31 days of Halloween and it's just Halloween Town 15 of those days. Like, no, because it's not that great of a movie, actually. I think that starts next week now that I think about it. Wow. Well, I hope so. 30 <laughs> 64 days they gotta Halloween. make up for mickey's not so scary halloween party not taking place so they are <laughs> extending the halloween marathon yeah on hocus, hocus pocus drops next monday please god no <laughs> so halloween town follows that very specific formula and what teen beach movie does is try to break the formula not break but adhere to it with a different twist it's saying that high school musical was successful and we're going to do it the same way essentially but we're going to also point out how ridiculous high school musical was none of them challenged the norms until the very end you have mac who's challenging the norms from the very beginning you have these relationship battles of the the couples in high school musical not necessarily trusting each other or getting jealous and in this teen beach movie they're working together to accomplish a new relationship and their jealousy doesn't get in the way. I thought that was super progressive. Like there wasn't like a breakdown moment between Brady and Mac where like 
one felt the other was f- like falling too much in love with the person that they weren't supposed to which is like the easy thing to do is just like have brady blow up on mac because she thinks mac or he thinks mac loves tanner and that's not it's not what's happening right mm-hmm. we don't get a whole lot of family stuff in teen beach movie which i think decom really surrounds itself in we brought up how decoms a lot of the times their parents jamming you up we have the aunt jamming up mac to force her to go back into the past <laughs> into this movie essentially but you don't there's no parental like cloud throughout this movie like there is in a movie like halloween town i where disagree it's, she reads the mom's diary at the beginning and she says oh my mom's diary says she doesn't want me to be dragged through life she wants me to march my way through life yeah and she misinterprets what that means and so the whole movie she is thinking i have to go to a great school i have to get a great job i have to get a lot of money and that's what quote unquote marching my way through life looks like when in reality it's simply following what your heart wants consciously yes and that's what she learns in the movie yeah, right, for sure. But it's also subconsciously she's marching her way through walls of norms. And she yep. makes it very obvious. She she her nickname is Mac. Right? That from the very start it's breaking down what is to be a quote unquote girl name and what's not. But you're right. But I just don't think the influence is as heavy as usual where it's usually like a concrete issue. External. You know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And with Halloween Town, that's that's it. That's the reason why they get to Halloween Town basically is because mom doesn't want them to get to Halloween Town and grandma wants them to get you know, you know what I'm saying? Like the external forces are obviously in play there. In this specific matchup, if you watch them back to back, which we did, and even though Halloween Town is definitely not does not live up to the hype that it should or that people put on it at all i think it's still a very solid decom i think teen beach movie is a very solid movie but i don't think that it's it it's in the realm of decom at all i just don't i think that it's not something that holds up and maybe i mean it holds up for sure as a movie but i just think that it's not something that is decom it's just a good movie that happened to have to premiere on it's Disney Channel. It's nostalgia bias. Huh? It's Slightly. nostalgia bias. You're thinking of DCOM as 1998 up until High School Musical where the greatest DCOM happened and then everything post High School Musical is more like Teen Beach Movie. So it's like comparing apples and oranges when you're talking about newer DCOMs and older DCOMs. And that's why High School Musical is the best. It's the best of both worlds, baby. Miley said it. <laughs> I, I don't think High School Musical is the best of both, both worlds. Here, Chris, I, yeah, sure. I'll admit to some nostalgia bias, and I'm going to pass Halloween Town on, which means that we're going to allow Elizabeth Staub to break that tie. Oh, man. Um, so I went in to watch. I had not seen Teen Beach Movie before um, preparing for this bracket, I went in fully prepared to hate it. It looked like it was going to be awful, and I thought it was going to be terrible. Um, And as I was watching it, I was like, wow, this movie really sucks. Like, there's no character development. No one has any personality. Like, this is terrible. And then I got the joke, and I thought it was funny. 
And then I, after, like, 25 minutes in, I was like, oh, this is going to be funny if you just lean into it. But it, like, it doesn't feel very decommy to me. I do love the aunt. If you guys saw, ever watched Silicon Valley, she's in that show as well, and she plays the exact same character. She's hilarious. Um, Halloween Town. <sighs> I think Chris might be right. I think it's the nostalgia bias is that Halloween Town feels much more decommy. But <sighs> it's also I don't think Halloween Town's the best of the Halloween Towns either i think some of these first movies like the a lot of these decoms that got sequels the sequels like got a little bit better um i think halloween town 2 is the better one i was watching it and i was kind of bored i think chris mentioned like it's a little bit oh some of it you're like oh all right when are we get like can he be evil now like can we get on with like the evil part and like there's like too much witch training and then they get frozen for a while and um (laughs) so i think i think for this like in the spirit of introducing the younger generation to some some hilarious disney moments i'm gonna move uh team beach movie on to the finals let's go chris just broke through the coveted nostalgia bias (laughs) it feels so good we are with the final four, Chris and Elizabeth. We have the number eight, Cadet Kelly, versus number five, Brink. And then on the other side of the bracket, we have the number two, Johnny Tsunami, versus the number 14, Teen Beach Movie. I'm glad I'm starting for this one. <laughs> number eight, Cadet Kelly, versus number five, Brink. This is crazy because <laughs> these are two movies that I think are kind of held in similar nostalgia guard, you know? Like, this is very much like you ask people uh, their not even favorite DCOMs, name some DCOMs. They're going to say Xenon, High School Musical, probably Cadet Kelly, Brink. And as I discovered with these, uh, <laughs> with last week's episode, people were shooting out some other ones like even Steven's movie, Motocrossed, Double Teamed. So there, uh, this is like the matchup for that group. Those who grew up on DCOMs and felt like everyone was a hit, which honestly not all of them were hits. There's a lot of movies in that era, and can't a lot wait of them to were... talk about those, Kyle. Cannot <laughs> wait. We'll we'll definitely in one of our break off brackets talk about the misses, the best miss of the DCOMs. But oh yeah, here it's. Cadet and Brink. So, I mean, Brink is a thousand percent a movie of its time. You you think about, Chris, how heavy Disney leaned into extreme sports in that era. When you're talking like Johnny Tsunami, you're talking like some of the, moto- you're talking motocross, some of the drag race movies. Spo- it uh, spills into the parks. The opening of California Adventure. What they have like that first summer. So it was like summer of X Games or something like that. And they had a X Game exhibition in the middle of their park where they had like a half pipe <laughs> and dirt bike mounds and like they were leaning into it. So this movie was just the really the icing on top of the cake for that era of Disney. And then Cadet Kelly 
is the fish out of water story, you know, like, and that's what we've kept kept bringing up throughout this entire bracket is Disney loves their fish out of water. And this is kind of a refreshing spin on it, much like Johnny is where the fish doesn't have to change for the new water that it's in, you know, like cadet Kelly, Kelly stays who she is and true to herself to the very end, even when she wants to kind of start conform at the very end and her dad can see or her stepdad can see that she doesn't want to she's not she's easily persuaded she's not completely dedicated to her guard and to this drill team she's gonna go figure out where her dad is that movie's also super progressive in that the kid is okay with having a dad and a stepdad and not actually encourages that relationship to form and it's kind of nice to not see the dads hate each other because I think that it, the easy thing is for the conflict to be the stepdad and the biological dad either don't get along or just don't know each other. Brink deals with issues that are very prevalent, I think, to the average decom watcher, uh, most likely kids, where they're dealing with a lot of school drama and especially in the age group that Brink might be, which is uh, assumedly high school, but even like in middle school, Choosing group of friends and feeling like you're betraying friends and sometimes there's ulterior motives and you you feel like you have to. But here it's like strictly financial, which is very interesting because it's a concept that seems unrealistic to like suburbia. But I guess that's what they're trying to drive home is like it could happen to anyone. Look at Brink and his perfect suburban life. He lives on the beach in Southern California and yet... He has to make money for his family. So in and, and like that aspect, it feels a little unrelatable to me, but I can see how relatable it might feel to the audience that it's, it's being portrayed to. I mean, who do you who was into extreme sports in the late 90s? <laughs> it was these Southern California suburban kids. Uh, this matchup is it's tough. I think here, Chris, what I enjoyed most about Cadet Kelly was a scenario in which I was unfamiliar with and something that I felt like I could even learn from, which was this not only like drill team atmosphere, but also this kind of Disney-fied boot camp atmosphere that didn't feel like another sports movie that we got a lot of not only in that time, but we continue it like through now. Um, so here I'm going with the upset. I'm crazy. I'm going Cadet Kelly over Brink. Wow. We were talking a little bit about external and internal conflicts before, and I think you can definitely apply that here with this matchup too. Cadet Kelly positions so much of the movie as an external conflict. It's will Kelly fit in? Will she pass the obstacle course in time? Will she solve her, you know, organization issues or punctuality issues or whatever? And, you know, it soon becomes, will she win the meet? And last week I mentioned, I love that the movie pivots at the last second to make the ending not about that. So the thing that she wins in the end isn't just a victory at a drill team meet 
she wins understanding and she wins everything that she learned at the military academy to me brink was never about winning the big race ever by the way you want to talk about incredibly awful discontinuities in decoms <laughs> the final meet between the x-blades and team puppin suds uh-huh when they're doing the downhill section the sky is like gray and overcast <laughs> and it looked like it just rained and they like cut down to the parents watching on a big screen and it's like Clear sunny skies. and the sun's going down so funny yeah. that's shooting in southern california man that marine layer <laughs> that june gloom Get you every is, time it's brutal i digress like i said it was never about the race it was about brink winning his friends back and finding not necessarily finding his passion but being comfortable with doing his passion sure. if that makes sense Hands down, the best scene in Brink is between Brink and his father. When Brink's in the garage and he's like dusting off his old rollerblades. Right. And he's like, Dad, why did you keep these? And he's like, I don't know. But they start talking and Brink's dad's like, yeah, you know, I was really sad when I lost my construction job because I loved my construction job. And I loved the deals and meeting people and calling the shots on the site and just saying that I'm the foreman. And then I lost my job and I got really depressed. And I feel like I lost my identity, lost my passion for life. And then he said, Brink, it's not about what you do in life. It's about who you surround yourself with. I think he says what com company you keep and how well you keep it. Yeah. And he says, your name's Andy Brinker. You are a good friend and you are a good son. And like hearing that in 2020, when a lot of people's job security is up in the air was incredibly powerful. And I think this is a conflict that is internal in all of us. This idea of identity and like, do I follow my passions or do I not follow my passions? Like, am I allowed to follow my passions? Like, is that feasible to do? And Brink touches on that in a way that is so personal and it articulates it so well. And, you know, for a movie that's supposed to be aimed towards children and families, I w walked away from that movie with my head kind of blown. So let's talk about the finale real quick, though. This is going to be open to interpretation, so I'm going to ask you. Is Brink a cheater? Because the dude's doing this downhill race, and he jumps on top of a building and jumps down the roof <laughs> through an alleyway, clearly shortcutting the course. <laughs> and he gets down to the bottom, and he's like, you're an honest kid, Brink. He's like, you literally just cheated. You shortcutted half the course. That's. I think that's just the name of the game in extreme sports. You gotta get it how you get it, and he he found the he found the hole. It's kind of like in like Mario Kart, where if you know the secret path, you take it. So it's on them to not know that. I always felt like Val cheated more. Like, didn't he like right. try and screw them right. up? Right. He more? was the one that who initially. I don't know that he cheated, but he had a dirty, dirty play. Dirty play. That moment does slightly lend itself to the Brink character 
Brink is a guy who likes to have control of a situation, likes to have all the answers, likes to call the shots. He's kind of the captain of this Soul Surfer team. And part of his character arc is he bites off way more than he can chew at one point. Another great montage, good montage, <laughs> is when Brink is like doing so much. He's doing yes. the most. He's skating. He's washing dogs. Mm-hmm. He's doing his homework, trying to show up on time for school. And there's a moment where Gabriella really challenges him. Mm-hmm. It's after she falls down on that head-to-head downhill. And he's like, I didn't think anyone would get hurt. And Gabriella says, I guess for once you didn't think of everything. So it kind of exposes this idea that like, yeah, being smart's good, but there's also like micromanaging everyone around you and telling everyone else what to do and thinking what's good for other people. Right. I like that that's in this movie. Another strong element to Brink's personality. He's just a nice guy. We see that at the beginning of the movie when they do the schoolyard skate session and Boomer biffs it real hard. Boomer, who the actor plays the Black Ranger in the Power Rangers high school scenes. At the very end of the movie, that ends up paying off for Brink because he's in this little showdown with Val on the pier Santa Monica Pier, he throws the milkshake in his face, and Brink with the ultimate burn. You're no fun to skate with. (laughs) And Boomer is in there defending him, and I think this movie has just so much going for it. I mean, I could talk on and on about it. I just wanted to bring up those points because I feel like we haven't talked about them. We've been advancing Brink kind of by default. I am advancing Brink, but it's not by default. I think... This is a decom that encompasses a lot of elements. If it's not High School Musical, it's Brink. I mean, the only <laughs> thing missing from Brink... I would say the only thing missing from Brink is music, but there is a song written by the guy from Def Leppard called Brink. Really? Check it out. It's this. It's the credit song. Oh my the gosh. drummer from Def Leppard wrote a Brink theme song. <laughs> so there is music in this movie. So hands down, easy advance. Brink to the finals for me, which means Elizabeth. Oh, man. You're going to have to break this tie again. Oh. This one, this one's a little bit easier for me. Brink holds up really well in 2020. Um, there is, like, some race relations, um, you know, some maybe, like, gender identity issues, um, like Definitely. how you present yourself. Um, totally. And... Brink is like super supportive of all his friends, like supports everyone, stands up to everyone. You know, um, there's a scene when when one of the X Blades kids says to Gabrielle, like, "Oh, when she like he says something about her clothes," and she's like, "Or are you like? Do you know what I'm talking about?" Yes, yeah. it's a moment when they're in the pit, and one of the X Blades guys says, "Hey, Gabriella, have you ever been arrested for?" being a boy or something like that and she's like no have you (laughs) yeah yeah and it's it's really great like that whole that is really great um like you said brink is a really good kid he's a really good dude um whereas a lot of these um main characters sometimes in decoms are like fine but they like do one thing whereas brink 
it never does anything like to hurt anyone you know right. anything he does is always to, is always um there's some like it's helping someone else um which i think it was a really great movie for me i was six when it came out six or seven and so you know i feel like my generation our generation grew up with movies like this where those were the lessons we learned and that's what we we learned and i think you could um throw out a team pup and suds reference and most people our age would know exactly what you're talking about and have that <laughs> image in their head. And just Frank is just so good overall. Really great movie. I do love Kid I Kelly, but I think um, kind of the lasting messages in, in Brink and kind of the themes in that movie really um, hold up well and, and are there throughout the movie, where it's not kind of Cadet Kelly seems a little bit gratuitous to me in, in some of those. And I think that they had a chance to maybe, like, focus on those a little bit more, maybe, like, the black friend or, um, you know, if they had explored some, maybe some kind of, like, um, sexual identity with some of the other um, characters in Cadet Kelly, which felt like it was kind of, like, ripe um, and right there. But So I think that Brink moves on. All right. Brink advances to the finals of our best decom bracket. On the other side, we've got Johnny Tsunami the number two seed versus number 14 teen beach movie guys teen beach movie is just a better version of johnny tsunami <laughs> they are exactly the same movie just way better they're both about turf wars they're both about kids not wanting to follow the plans that their parents or parental figures have laid out for them they're both about being in unfamiliar environments, but wanting to go back home. They're both about trying to make friends with people that are unlike them. They're both about surfing and extreme sports. The only difference is that Teen Beach Movie has great music and is way funnier. That's it. Like, there's literally nothing else. Except maybe an extremely high grandfather. I mean, who knows? The grandpa just the yeah. bitch yeah. movie might be he really high too. Chill. He yeah. was pretty, pretty chill. Big. You know that surfboard was like making some really crazy light colors coming off it, <laughs> and I don't know whose perspective that was coming from. You know, I mean, I'm going Teen Beach movie easy. I attempted to squander Teen Beach movie last time. It it's definitely my favorite. Of all of these decoms, not gonna lie about that. We hyped it up last episode, screamed about it, in fact. Um, and the points that you bring up here are completely valid, Chris. Um, they do feel like the same movie. They do. They feel like the same same kind of themes, just different movies. The journeys that the characters have to embark on are completely different. Teen Beach movie just does it better. I'm with you, Chris. Team Beach movie is moving on to the finals, Elizabeth. I strayed away from the nostalgia bias in this time. Uh, will it happen next time? I don't know. Your thoughts about the sleeper Team Beach moving on? It's an interesting interesting choice, but I think, you know, you guys have a lot of good points. It's very similar to Johnny Tsunami. There's just music, and it's, like, funnier, so. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to see the jokes will hold up a little bit longer than Johnny Tsunami does. All right. Chris, we've done it. We've made it to the finals of this marathon of a 50th episode. It is the number five Brink versus the number 14 Teen Beach movie, and it is quite uh, applicable that it 
turned out this way. I'm glad it's not a one versus two. I'm glad it's not a one versus 16. I'm glad it's right in the middle of the pack because I think we're just hitting our stride with this podcast and this is a great conversation to have. So I'm going to let you lead it off. I'm personally really glad we don't have a 90s versus 90s situation. Sure. Uh, heavy nostalgia versus a heavy nostalgia because that would have just been my worst nightmare. <laughs> I probably would have self-destructed and not been able to finish the episode. <laughs> I would say High School Musical is in a stratosphere of its own. I know we're not talking about High School Musical anymore, <laughs> but I just have to say that. When you're talking about DCOMs, High School Musical feels like something different. It feels like it's just its own. It's yeah. above the rest. It's living can, on another level. It's somewhere else. And that might have been, if High School Musical had made it this far, where I say it might not be num- the one that wins this bracket because sure. it does feel slightly different because it's so successful and so good. Mm-hmm. After High School Musical, Brink is the one that I have heard people reference the most. Like, oh, yeah. decoms don't be Brink. I had never seen Brink. I didn't know. I knew Brink was about like action sports. So I watched this movie with very high expectations, but at the same time, very low expectations because, you know, I hate nostalgia. So I was like, right. okay. <laughs> um, and I, I watched it twice and I enjoyed it greatly. It met and probably exceeded my expectations. Teen Beach movie I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm doing this bracket and far exceeded my expectations blew me out of the water no pun intended so we've gotten this far it has been established that these are both two incredible movies these are two movies that also both embody so many of the decom elements that we see in so many these other movies they do it successfully they are both great examples of this genre both very, very deserving of this crown, in my opinion. Both incredible, enjoyable watching experiences, too, for completely different reasons. Here's the only thing that I think is the difference between the two. Brink has something for everyone, and I think it's the idea that you find strength from within. Teen Beach Movie, I think, also deals with a similar topic, that you find strength from within. No matter what, people might say or do in the outside but i think kyle you referenced it last round there is an aspect of brink that is slightly unrelatable them being extreme sports athletes in southern california it's a little bit harder for me to see myself in those characters whereas teen beach movie between brady mac tanner and lola I, and I believe anyone who watches Teen Beach Movie can find themselves in one of those characters, without a doubt. And that, I think, is the most important element of every decom. Do you see yourself in this character? Because these movies are about growth, they're about learning lessons. So you have to be able to be like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm going through this transformation with this character, because that character is me. I trust Teen Beach Movie to accomplish that more than Brink. So on top of it being an enjoyable watch and fun and all that stuff, I think Teen Beach Movie is the best Disney Channel original movie bracket winner 
the point you so eloquently said was that the relatability factor is much stronger in Teen Beach Movie. And you know why, Chris? Because everything's so exaggerated that their like, groups don't matter. You're now just focused on the characters. The story of Brink is so heavily driven on the ability to inline skate that you're more of watching something happen than experiencing it from your own point of view. And I think that that's what happens in Teen Beach Movie. It's not that the the front and center story is these bikers versus these surfers. There's no surfing that happens in that movie, and there's no motorcycle riding except for the guy who somehow managed to ride his motorcycle up the stairs and into the <laughs> the dance hall right that's irrelevant they're just two different social groups while in brink it's two different social groups within the microcosm of inline skating and unless you know the nuances kind of like johnny tsunami which i didn't know and you brought to light last episode unless you know the nuances of skiing versus snowboarding or uh inline skating for fun and inline skating for money you're just watching something unfold as opposed to being able to relate how friendships are made how relationships are made how gender roles are broken and if if we're talking about best decom in this day and age in 2020 it's important to crown a movie that embodies a message that we feel is appropriate moving forward. We don't want to crown a movie that is outdated and crown it because of nostalgia bias. I'm not saying that Brink doesn't do great jobs of breaking those gender norms and and Gabriella's character is so strong that it was different than really anything else that they were doing especially in like the extreme sports genre that is a male dominated movie and other movies it's like double teamed it's the protagonists are the two girls and the drag racing one it's it's the the female lead here it's like it's she's not just a damsel in distress like in johnny tsunami she's a human <laughs> which is important but Team Beach Movie gives that human a lot more agency and control of the narrative. And it's not based on your ability to surf, to skate, to do any of that stuff. Chris, I am with you. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, for our 50th episode, we are crowning Teen Beach Movie as the best Disney Channel original movie and as we always do, we're going to clap it out. Elizabeth seems skeptical. I don't know. I think Teen Beach Movie is too uh, recent to really, to really, I know it's the nostalgia bias, but I think it, it hasn't really hit that like classic, classic for me yet. Um, and I think the secondary characters in Teen Beach Movie just don't have enough substance. Um, but gotta go with what you gotta go with. So <laughs> congrats to Teen Beach Movie. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us for this special 50th episode of Mouse Madness. We hope you had a great time, even though you kind of got skirted in the final matchup. 
That's okay. Thanks, guys. I can't wait to be back to talk about different classifications of decoms. Folks, we want to give a sincere thank you to listening to this podcast as we wrap up our 50th episode. Thank you to everyone who's joined us along the way, streamed us once in a while, or maybe you streamed every single episode of Mouse Madness. We really appreciate every single person who has hit play on this podcast one time. We consider you members of our Mouse Madness family. And we would love to hear from you. We'd love to have you on the show. Love to get some feedback from you guys. You know how to reach us. You can hit us up on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can join our Discord server or our Facebook community, which are both linked in the description of this podcast. Until next time, guys. We're all in this together. She talks like teacher too.